Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, dude, I haven't. I didn't work all week last week, and I haven't worked yet this week. I'm starting to feel like unemployed. I guess things are just slow on the railroad right now. I don't know. Uh, welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm starting. To, I was like, man, this is like recording during the day, ten o'clock. Yeah. Like I feel like Eric Mulher right now. Yeah, he, a professional gentleman of leisure. I know it's pretty wild. One day, maybe, but yeah. not quite yet. Uh, Keep reaching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm not sure. I got four kids, man. I'm not sure it's ever the day's ever gonna come. I'll probably be dead when it does. Uh, all right. So anyway, welcome back to the South End Zone Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook here on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason Bailey. I'm with Eric Mulher, as per the usual. Eric, what's going on, man? Same old, same old. You know, just had a had a pretty decent weekend. Enjoyed the Super Bowl. It was a good game, and uh, my my son's last basketball game of the rec league year thankfully is over because i'm kind of over the rec league <laughs> oh, whole separate too. discussion yep. yeah mine too. Mine too. I, I just youth sports is not going in a direction that i care for but uh yeah what do, mean, like, what do you mean like ridiculous parents living vicariously through their children type stuff M- mostly that and i think <laughs> yeah. i think yeah, where, specifically where i live uh i think the people administrating youth sports at the rec league kind of allow that system to get abused and it's not to the benefit of any kids oh shocking sports yeah. systems getting abused for the greatness of parents and money seekers and god yeah. knows what. we've never seen that in college football right and it's i i get that this is not a new phenomenon uh, <laughs> especially especially here but it's it's feels like it's getting worse mm. that's all indeed well just wait till there's nil considerations for rec league it's gonna happen I'm actually I'm stunned, and maybe uh, in a couple of weeks we we have someone with a little bit of insight on this who can tell us what he thinks. But I am somewhat surprised that Georgia is a state that still has not passed legislation to allow NIL deals for high school athletes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh it's coming, just like the rest of them. But yeah, we'll uh we'll get some insight there here in a couple of weeks, maybe, and uh, maybe some further insight on NIL, you know, in a few episodes coming up. But this week, and we had a ton of fun doing this last year, Eric, we're going to do our award show. Yep. And obviously, Timmy not being here, it's going to be more of just a, a draft style kind of, you know, we've got a couple of possibilities selected for each category and we'll just yeah. go back and forth. And, you know, there might be one or two we're unanimous on. We'll see. But uh, we're just going to go back and forth and uh, recognize some good and bad. And, uh, you know, definitely some ugly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe one or two of those. And uh, maybe give some players and coaches and uh, things like that some recognition that needs to be highlighted, good, bad, or ugly. But before we get to that, uh, the only real breaking news that we uh, need to cover that we have not covered on the show yet was uh, the first thing, real quick, just Oklahoma and Texas, uh, they got cleared to join yep. the SEC in 2024. Uh, a year earlier than we yeah, had, they got cleared uh, to buy their way out of the big 12 might be a more yeah, accurate well right and we did not expect this to happen because of the espn and fox and the you know fox not wanting to give up those games mm-hmm. uh but you know 100 million dollars money uh, talks man yeah and we don't know at, right now how much of that money is actually going to fox i've heard 20 million and then the rest is getting divided amongst the schools i don't know what the formula is but bottom line there's got to be some kind of 
incentive for Fox to let them go. I assume that comes in the form of playoff games when we hit the 2024 playoffs, you know, the 12 team playoffs. So this is really the last year of, yeah, this is really the last year of, you know, things as they are. Uh, yeah, playoff and you know yeah, you, college football gonna, as we know it right now is is circling the drain um, yeah yeah it's it's going to become something completely and utterly different here in just a couple of years now so i thought that was interesting you know you'll have usc and ucla in the big 10 which still doesn't make any sense and nope, i'm not sure it will they'll hate it until <laughs> until about 2026 or so maybe then i'll be okay with it but uh and then you'll have texas and oklahoma in the sec now and it's a popular topic right now, the scheduling formats. But we'll mm. we'll get we'll dive more into that as we uh, hit further into the off season, maybe sometime this summer. So the other piece of breaking news, which uh, we just found out about uh, today, was uh, Todd Munkin, Georgia's mm. offensive coordinator, is off to the NFL reportedly to take the Baltimore Ravens uh, job. And Eric, you said Mike Bobo is the favorite to replace him. Uh, Seth Emerson, of the, who is the Georgia football beat writer for The Athletic, is reporting on Twitter that Mike Bobo is the guy, not will be or might be or like he is oh. going to be the guy. He's the dude. So, yeah. And Monken's said he's interviewed, I think, twice for the Buccaneers job in the last couple of weeks. So this is something that I think Kirby Smart probably had a plan in place for. Mm-hmm. Uh, this I don't think he caught up, you know, got caught off guard and was like, oh well, shit, what am I? I think he's like, okay, well, he's probably going. He's probably gonna he's gonna get an offer, whether or not he takes it. If he does, here's what my plan, you know, Mike Bopo is he was there as the offensive coordinator under Mark Richt. Right. So yeah, um, I don't think it's uh any kind of high. I mean, Georgia fans can rip it apart if they want, and we know how soft Georgia fans have become. And go, oh man, by the way. You talk about kicking a hornet's nest. Oh, I got I got some nasty messages after that, man. Sweet. Ooh, oh man, I'll have to read some of them later on. But uh, Mike Bobo, I don't think it's a bad hire. I mean, it's no. one of those you you trust Kirby Smart kind of thing, same as you like trust Nick Saban. You know, yeah. and he's been on at, at least this past season. I think maybe before. I don't remember when he left. Uh, I believe it was Auburn where he was. Yeah, last, he. But. Yeah, he was at Auburn. He's been all over. So it's one of those. Yeah, he he's currently on staff as an analyst. Right. I don't think a whole lot is going to change. No. So. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, business yeah. Is job usual. number job number one, uh, Mike. Get Brock Bowers the football. Right. <laughs> That's your only job. Throw it to Brock Bowers and watch him do work. So. That'll be interesting, but uh, good for Todd Monken moving up in the world. It would not shock me if he does well that he gets a, you know, some kind of maybe head job offer later on, either in college or the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, with the Buccaneers. He was their OC for a couple of seasons and did okay. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we'll, we'll he got see. let go when they cleared out after, uh, I guess, Arians. Must have been Arians years. Yeah. So yeah. moved on. Well, uh, okay. So before we get into the awards, Mm-hmm. Since that's the only real breaking news, I did want to recap the Super Bowl a little bit. Yep. So I'll give you my initial thoughts first, and you can uh, pick them apart a little bit. I thought okay. it was a fantastic game, you know, the whole game. I thought it was great. I thought both teams played really well. I thought the Eagles outplayed the Chiefs for the better part of three quarters, but the defense kind of folded there in the second half a little bit. But I got to tell you, man, I know the popular topic is the penalty. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about it. I'm not saying, and I know I, you know, kind of mentioned this via text or group chat or whatever, but I'm not saying the Eagles would have went down and won the game had they have gotten the stop due to that holding call, the defensive holding, you know, that everyone's talking about. Yep. Had the ref kept his flag in his pocket and Kansas City kicks the field goal and, you know, the Eagles get the ball back with, you know, roughly a minute and a half left. I would have loved to have seen that ending. Mm hmm. You know, because it, it just I feel like it's a massive letdown. Like I like the refs screwed us out of Jalen Hurts down three with the ball with a minute twenty to go. You know, yeah, it that been. would have been a monumental finish to the game. And even if they don't get it, I mean fine, whatever. But I personally thought it was the ball wasn't catchable. That's so my big I, thing is so it, I it's not left. so much the contact. Like, was it a hold? I don't think yeah. he catches the ball regardless. I mean, yeah, he's no, overthrown I mean, I, by six yards. That's right. And so to me, you kind of, you, you leave your flag in your pocket there. I, you just let him play. I know it's tough to make that call. You see him grab him. You see whatever. 
it's a split second. You throw the flag, whatever, but yeah. <laughs> man, it's just a, it's a pisser of a way to end the season. It's like, yeah, of course the season comes down to a penalty, which guaranteed victory for Kansas city. Yeah, that, that was, it, it would have been a much more compelling ending. Um, you know, in the scenario you described where they, they kick the field goal instead of being able to then just watch a team run out the last minute of the clock and hit up, you know, set up the chip shot. So oh yeah. But I mean, overall they, it was it was a really, really good game. It shouldn't have been ten points at halftime. To me, the big play of the game was the fumble. Oh yeah. That I mean that changed the face of the game big time. It was uh it oh, man, that was a dagger for Philadelphia. You yeah. felt like the momentum shifted there a little bit in Kansas City's favor and a little bit. I mean, even if you don't <sighs> score, like you just you go down, kick a field goal, fine. Yeah, what, you know, you've bled some clock. They bled they worked the clock the entire game. And instead of being up by ten at halftime, you might be up 20, right? You're mm-hmm. even if you punt, you know, you're likely up 17 at halftime, then it's a whole different deal. So see, I and the the thing about this game that really blew my mind, uh, and I guess just mostly impressed me with Kansas City was their ability to run the ball, man. Mm-hmm. Like Pacheco just ripping off huge runs in the second half. I mean, he had like 14 carries for a, I mean, almost a hundred yards. I'm going, Jesus, like yeah, I, I, these dudes like Mahomes usually picks them apart, but I mean, fuck, dude, if if you can run, if Kansas City can run the ball, you can't yeah, beat out. them. Like, yeah. they're unbeatable. You cannot beat them if they're able to run the ball because Mahomes, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to put seven, eight in the box and stop them and watch Mahomes pick you apart, even at 70% health, which I think is probably about where he was. Yeah, between their ability to run the ball and then the fact that Philadelphia sacked the quarterback zero times. Oh, man, I couldn't mean, get so anywhere you have to near kinda, it tip your hat to the Kansas city offensive line. They were really kind of the difference, especially in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. The one, you know, I'm obviously not a fan of either team. I do love Jalen hurts. He's a good kid. Went to Bama, you know, one of my favorite players to ever come out of school there, but I hate it for him, but I am, I was very happy for Andy Reid to see him beat, you know, the team that shit canned him and said, mm-hmm. you're not good enough. We don't want you. We're going to hire whoever, you know, Doug Peterson or whoever it was that replaced him. And we're going to go with that guy and we're going to shit can you. And then Andy Reid goes and beats him in a Super Bowl. That had to feel super good for him. So I was happy for him. Yeah. I don't know that they fired him because they thought he wasn't good enough. I mean, he'd, he'd been to four conference championship games, but I think it was just kind of, they felt, and he, he might've too, like, Hey, maybe we just need to hit the reset button and this is kind of run its course. And, you know, you see it sometimes in college as well where it's like oh you know you feel like the coach has maybe just gone as far as he's gonna go like i think that's probably how brian kelly felt in notre dame he's hey i've kind of maxed out here and let's just move on to the next thing uh but yeah andy reed's certainly a likable guy he's my favorite monday night football halftime punt pass and kick participant ever (laughs) for anyone who's seen that video oh yeah that's fantastic uh he oh my goodness but yeah no uh, congratulations to to him and the kansas city chiefs it it was a good game yeah, it was. It was 100%. Uh, and Mahomes, I'm sorry to say, anybody who disagrees, he's the best there is, period. Like, he's the best player on earth, and that's the way it is. He's basically the new Tom Brady when Brady was in his prime. You know, I mean, he's just, if you want to bet on the Chiefs to make the Super Bowl every year, you'll probably hit 60% of the time over the next decade. I mean, yeah. it's just there. And, and when they win it, they'll still think that nobody picked them. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. That's, a, that's a thing now. Like, we can't have someone <laughs> win a championship without telling us how much they were doubted. Uh, even though they weren't seriously like you've yeah, got if the I'm best not mistaken, player in the league. Weren't they the betting favorite in Vegas to start the year? I mean, weren't uh, they? I would think it was either them or Buffalo. Yeah. If the, I mean, what, what are we talking about? Like if this was the Texans that won the Super Bowl, Okay, fine. Yeah. No one believed in you. Uh, well, Everybody I think it's very similar to Georgia and that like at worst people <laughs> viewed them as the third best team. Yeah. Yeah. At the that beginning was that. of the year. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a joke. It's it, I, it's eye rolling. Yeah, <laughs> it truly is. It's 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 a bad beat. All right. So before we get into the awards section of this podcast, uh, we're going to talk about our corporate sponsor, which is DraftKings Sportsbook. And even though the Super Bowl is over, Eric, the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer with tons of ways to bet on your favorite sports. You can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. You can make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. Plus, with same game part, Parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props. Your betting options feel endless. Eric, it's Valentine's Day. Baseball's mm-hmm. coming. 
Yep. So uh, you're going to throw down a preseason bet on your Astros to repeat, man? What are you going to do? I, I haven't looked at uh, preseason win totals, but most likely, um, if I was going to make a baseball bet, it would be depending on the number, uh, an over on uh, them in Atlanta. And I kind of like San Diego a little bit to do well this year, depending oh, man, on. Yeah. Well, they've spent enough money to do good. And that's Yeah. It kind of depends on Tatis and how healthy he is. But, yeah, I'll, I'll be looking at some win totals. Yeah, I will as well. I saw uh, some tweets the other day uh, talking about run differential, and mm-hmm. uh, several several outlets have, I believe this was CBS, uh, had uh, Atlanta as the number one team in plus run differential. So, And San Diego and Houston were up there as well. So uh, not bad picks. But uh, catchers and pitchers are reporting today, tomorrow, you know, things like that. So it's officially baseball season. So we are excited for that. Now, best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. But to get in on the baseball action, you got to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN. Make uh, your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply, so see our show notes for those details. Okay, Eric, it's awards time. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the meat of this show and talk about some of these awards. Now, I took some of these categories from last year yep. uh, and added or you know modified a couple of them uh, to pay some homage to some people. So the first one I'm going to hit you with is the the band is on the field award. And this is basically the, you know, what you can, you can do this a couple of ways. You could do it the biggest Vegas upset of the year, or just, you know, it doesn't have to be the biggest point spread upset, but just in your opinion, the biggest upset of the year. And I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So I have two games that I would like to discuss for this category. All right. First one is the kind of the most surprising outcome uh, in terms of an upset, and that is Marshall at Notre Dame oh, in man. week uh, must have been two or three that they came oh, yeah. in. That game closed at twenty and a half, oh, and damn. Marshall won by multiple scores. I think um, if I remember right, I, I want to say they won by ten points. Oh, not, so not great, Bob. That was uh, coming hot off the heels of their loss at Ohio State, and. You know, Notre Dame did not get out. They finished well, and they overall had a good season. But Mm-mm. that uh, it was not looking good for them early on, mostly because of that game, and then they followed up with a loss to Stanford. Now, in terms of upsets that had the biggest impact on how the mm-hmm. season unfolded, yeah, uh, I have to go with Beamer Ball in South Carolina. Oh man, that's a great pick. I, I getting, thought about that one. Getting that win over Clemson, it wasn't a huge spread. I want to say it was like ten and a half or twelve mm-hmm. or something in that range. You know that game, South Tennessee Carolina. Like, knocked, Tennessee likely goes to the playoff if they win that game. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the Clemson game, but Tennessee as well. I was going to say South Carolina effectively knocked two teams out of playoff contention. Yeah, uh, yeah, in, close the, the, season the season with two top ten victories, basically. Yep, but uh, Clemson, all they had to do, you know, win their their in state rivalry game, and they, they're cruising to the playoff. Uh, Tennessee probably has a pretty good case to get in over mm-hmm. Ohio State if they win that game, but that game wasn't particularly close. Yeah. yeah and a- you you have to kind of wonder, because that's the game Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker went down yeah. and how that gets viewed by the committee. But uh, as far as upsets that impacted the season overall, South Carolina and Clemson for me. Yeah, I don't disagree with that take, uh, especially, and, you know, kudos to uh Shane Beamer there. Uh, I be, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was nine in a row that Clemson had won. And, it's either eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he kept him out of the double digit column there. So, mm-hmm. so kudos to him. Yeah. That's pretty clutch. I, I don't hate that. Those two are uh, really good picks. So my two here, uh, kind of in a similar vein here, Miami was heavy favorites over middle Tennessee state. Okay. They were. And they got run off the field yes i'll talk more about that game in a minute yeah (laughs) just that game will come back up 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just blown off the field to the point where Middle Tennessee State was pulling starters in the third quarter. It was like a just, oh, God, if you want to just go read the definition of beat down, you might find a picture of that final score. It was a blowout. So huge upset. I mean, Miami point spread wise, that one was one I wanted to consider here. But the I would say the upset that had just the most mind-blowing impact early in the year was Appalachian State beating Texas A&M. Yeah. Texas A&M with all that damn preseason hype, even us, we bought into them. Mm-hmm. You know, said they were going to win, you know, double-digit games this season and they lose at home to Appalachian State and I believe they were like a 17-point favorite or something like that, so it's not like it was a small line. No, it wasn't a small line, and that I remember that game was weird because it ended up being a fairly close score. But if you look, yeah, at it was like box, seventeen to fourteen, I think. Yeah, but if you look there. at the box score, it was super one sided. Uh, mm-hmm. I think A and M returned maybe a punt or a kickoff for a touchdown, so it kind of skewed the score versus how good they were offensively and defensively. Yeah. But man, that yeah, that's a good one. That closed at seventeen. Oh God, what a that's gross, man. Honorable mention here, I, I didn't want to, this didn't have much impact on the season, but uh, New Mexico State beating Liberty as a 24-point underdog was pretty impressive as well. So nice job, Hugh Freeze there. <laughs> but uh, so we've got South Carolina Clemson, we've got Miami, Middle Tennessee State, Appy State, and A&M, and then Notre Dame and Marshall. Whew, man, those are all really good. <sighs> I don't know though. I, I would have to give it to your your pick of South Carolina and Clemson though, because that did change the face of the playoff for sure. Yeah, because then we don't get Ohio State, Georgia in that semi that you know, which was a fantastic game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That I would have to give that the winner, man. I mean, would you agree there of those four games? That's probably gotta be the most impactful band is on the field moment there. I think it has to be just because it changed how the whole postseason went. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Good call. Great call. I didn't have that one down. That's a nice call. So, yeah, for the band is on the field, the award winner goes to South Carolina upsetting Clemson. And Did they rush the field? Was that at South Carolina? I don't remember now. Uh, I can't remember either. If it was at home, surely they rushed the field. That's good. <laughs> that's, yeah, I would think. Seems like uh, that's a bit of a trend these days. All right, so moving on to the next award. This one is going to be the Les Miles Spectacular Group of Men Award. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one is the most outstanding position group on a particular team in college football. Spectacular group of men. You go find them, you throw your arms around them, you give them a big kiss on the mouth if you're a girl. This was a really tough one for me. You know, last year I would have picked the Michigan offensive line or whatever, you know, the, things like that. But I am going to stick with Michigan and okay. say the running back room. And say mm. between Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, holy shit, man. Those two guys, it did not matter who was in the game. They were just freakishly good. And especially Blake Corum, but they didn't really miss a beat until they got to the playoffs with those two dudes. But man, the the Michigan running back room was extremely deep this year. Yes, they have a good offensive line to run behind, but man, they were just basically unstoppable on the ground. So that would be my nominee for the best position group uh, of twenty twenty two would be the Michigan running back room. Okay. So I didn't have them on my list, although Michigan's offensive line was kind of one of my finalists Mm -hmm. and I debated about Georgia's tight ends and I sort of came off of that because really that kind of comes down to just one guy being one dude. Yeah. Being Mm -hmm. just a cheat code. Um, you know, they have, they have Washington who's a very good player and possibly a first round pick and will play on Sundays, but he wasn't necessarily a focal point and then i really like the the freshman they had that got some time uh delp yeah uh, he's gonna be yeah. a really good player but you know uh, tight ends even as superhuman as brock bowers looks sometimes they can really only affect the game so much yeah so i think i'm gonna lean tennessee wide receivers on this oh one i had them on the list i did have them on my list too because you know like cedric tillman is coming into the year is looked at maybe a top 10 top 15 guy uh, mm. in the draft and uh you know Bolitnikov watch list this that the other thing he missed you know the majority of the season he didn't play a whole lot and yeah. they really didn't slow down obviously uh so yeah i'd never heard of jalen hyatt until the bama game when he scored five fucking touchdowns yeah so it just it didn't matter who was in there you know part of that is scheme but part of that is you know these guys are just good players and yeah they, they yeah, run they athlete. execute their scheme well so yeah they're just they they didn't miss a beat no matter what happened you know Hendon Hooker out with injury, backup quarterback comes in, and they 
ran all over Clemson too. So mm-hmm. it just it didn't matter. They that wide receiver group just put out week in week out basis. Yeah, I would agree with you. That they were they were uh, somebody that was on my list as well. And honestly, I would probably give you the nod there as well. So, well, I think it's one of those where there's not really one right answer. Yeah, I would agree there. There was a bunch of good position groups. I looked at you know some quarterback rooms, uh, things like that. But just for me, yeah, I, I would have to agree with you on that as well. So, uh, we will give the Les Miles Spectacular Group of Men award the Tennessee wide receiver room. So congrats to Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt and the rest of those freaks that they've got down there. And personally, I don't see them slowing down. No, I think they're going to be pretty damn good next year. I think it'll be more of the same. Yeah. A lot of scoring. So uh, that'll be uh, really interesting. Your turn to go first. Our next category is the old uh, Connor McGregor. Who the fuck is that guy award? And this is basically uh, like we did last year. It's the dude that kind of, came out of nowhere nobody had ever heard of him before the season and uh he comes up and just you know shows up and just basically dominates who the fuck is that guy who's your guy for the who the fuck is that guy award well i was tempted to go back to the western kentucky quarterback well <laughs> austin and, reed and go, go with austin reed uh who <laughs> i mean he, he led the nation in passing yards but he didn't quite put up bailey zappy numbers yeah yeah so i'm gonna pivot actually to a guy we talked about it a minute ago you know, and you specifically mentioned you had never heard of him mm-hmm. um, coming into the year. You know, Jalen Hyatt in 2021 caught 21 passes for 226 yards and two touchdowns. Follows that up this year with 67 catches for 1267, 15 touchdowns, and a Bolitnikoff award. So, damn. You know, he was not even viewed as the guy, you know, on his own team. And yeah, and he comes out of the year, arguably, you know, depending on what you think of Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, I personally would have probably given the Blitnikoff to Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he would have gotten my vote, but Jalen Hylett, you know, definitely gets my vote for the Conor McGregor award. Hmm. Yeah, I had him like uh, on my list kind of, you know, I had four or five guys uh, to pick from here and I had him on the list because like I said, I didn't even know who he was until he just, you know, showed up at the Bama game and just fucking dominated. But uh, I also had Austin Reed on my list to be clear, uh, but I did not pick him. I wanted to leave that for you if you chose to take him because I knew you might go back to that. Well, appreciate that. And it would have been justified. You know, I wouldn't have complained about that. But for me, the number one dude on the list, uh, because this guy was not even, it, it, there was a question of whether he was even going to be the starter coming into the season. Yeah, my and, man, Max. There, there, well, he was uh, one of the oh, two. Oh, that's not who you're talking about? Okay. No, no. But this guy, I, I watched their spring game, and I thought that this guy was going to be the dude uh, based on what I saw. But he didn't look overly more impressive than the other guys they had in there. It was like a three-player race. But for me, it's Drake May. Mm. Uh, Drake May comes out this year, his first year as a starter, throws for 4,338 TDs, seven picks, and 82 QBR. I, I mean, if you watch him, I mean, he's got NFL written all over him, you know, and yeah. maybe 6'4", 220, big guy, huge arm, you know, that kind of stuff. He, and coming into the year, we didn't even know who was going to start. And he shows up and just lights the fucking world on fire. And also, he did it with a bunch of kind of Joe Schmoes because Josh Downs is banged up quite a bit often. Right. And so, you know, when you take a guy like that who can just, and I know people, they want to say the, you know, the ACC is not great, which it's not, but I don't give a shit who you are. When you throw for 4,338 TDs, you're doing some shit. Yeah, right. the, the numbers are the numbers. I, I thought of him uh, just because for the reasons you outlined, like we did. You know, he'd never started and we didn't know what was that's why I took the under on North Carolina this year is well, who's gonna be the quarterback and how good is he? How are they gonna replace Sam Howell? Mm-hmm. Well, they replaced him pretty capably. Uh and another guy I thought about was Max Duggan because he was not going to be the starter coming into the year. <laughs> yeah, you know, ends yeah. up the Heisman runner up, uh goes to the playoff. Fantastic year. So, you know, I I now he didn't necessarily come out of nowhere because he started a bunch of games last year. I knew who he was in terms of anyone's realistic expectation for for him far far surpassed it yeah and he had some absolute freaks to throw to you know guys like quint johnson Johnson. i mean they you know there was uh a lot of good stuff going on there and they had a pretty good team the year before and just quit on their coach and you know they get sunny dykes in there kind of reignites the fire under all those players and they have a really good year and finish out the year the national championship runner-up so um yeah so drake made jalen hyatt I think we can just split that award, honestly, because I think Drake May 
I think his accomplishments are no less, even though he didn't win, you know, all these Heismans and, you know, big time awards. If he played for a different team, a team who actually played one shred of defense. Yeah, I think if he played somewhere other than North Carolina, where maybe more people paid attention to him, Mm -hmm. he would have, because he was deservedly kind of in the Heisman discussion towards, you know, maybe week nine, 10, 11 range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But they go out, they lose a couple of games. And for whatever reason, that works against him, but he was still stellar. Yeah, agree. So, yeah, for the Conor McGregor, who the fuck is that guy award? We're going to split it and we're going to say Jalen Hyatt and Drake May. For those awards so congrats to those dudes on fantastic seasons and uh man i'll be anxious to see if drake may rides out the whole rest of his career at unc because there was rumors of him transferring mm-hmm. but he you know so the next award category uh this is the denny green they are who we thought they were award and this is sort of a boast for us you know i guess you could call it that this is the team or coach or player or whatever that did exactly what you thought they would do and there was no question in your mind coming into the year. So I'm going to give you first honors here because this was a super easy one for me. They are who we thought they were. I think I know who you're going to say. Go um, ahead and say it. If you think you know, go ahead and say I, it. I think you're going to pick Georgia. Yes, that would okay. be my that would be So my I pick. picked I picked one team at each end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um so, so I'll I'll give you Georgia and I'm going to say that Colorado did exactly what I thought they were going to do this year. I thought they were going to be a bag of flaming dog shit on someone's porch. Okay. And, and as it turns out, they were. Yeah, I think that was a really easy category, you know, because uh, before the season I did uh, predict Georgia to, you know, win the national title. I thought they were the best team in the nation and they go undefeated and win it all. So you know, not not much to talk about there, but yeah, great call on Colorado. I do remember us having conversations uh, throughout the Pac-12, and you were not a fan of the Buffaloes coming no. into the year. Other I'm a than fan their, of Ralphie, but that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Other than Ralphie, it'll be interesting. I'll be really excited to see if they can make a bowl game this year in Dion's first season. That'll be super exciting. That would so, be monumental, uh, yeah, because because so, they're awful. <laughs> So congrats to Colorado. You make Eric Mulher's hall of shame. Way to go. Nice job. Uh, All right. So this one is going to be really interesting, I think. And this is the, the Gus Johnson losing his mind award. Yep. And this goes to our best game of the season. Most exciting game that you saw this year. God, I still can't decide. So I came up with two. The first one, uh, Tennessee at, or um, Alabama at Tennessee, rather. That was yeah obviously a real compelling game yeah just rub it in thanks a lot well just as a viewer right of college football (laughs) it was a fantastic game now it was it's there is enough there is enough swirling around that game in terms of the officiating and how it affected the outcome for me so i'm going to pick a game that did not feature that same kind of cloud over it that was equally exciting and a hell of a lot of fun to watch and that Mm -hmm. is Appalachian State versus North Carolina, Ooh. a game that featured 1,200 total yards, 62 fourth quarter points, and three touchdowns in the last 38 seconds of the game. Oh my God. Yeah. Nice call. Those were the two games on my list as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which one are you taking? Which one was better? Pick one. I, I think it. I have to go App State and UNC. Yeah, that I, I'm with you. That to me was the most exciting game of the year. I think uh, just cra- a 63 point fourth quarter. That's it's just it's out. I've never seen anything like it. It's no, it's crazy because you know, yeah, App State they go down and they hey they're they're going to go for two in the win and he he had the guy open and just kind of lofted it just out of reach. So now mm-hmm. just you know just under a minute left to got to try the onside. North Carolina returns the onside kick for a touchdown. <laughs> And it's just uh, a wild game. Yeah, apps, App crazy. State goes down, and you know they they score again, and now they need a two pointer to tie. Don't get it, but that, that game was just fantastic. <clears throat> All well, it needed was Gus Johnson himself, indeed. And I hate that he missed it because he'd have been going wow. You know, he would have been going nuts. Uh, uh, honorable mention here: another game that uh, included App State was App State and Troy. Troy, the Hail Mary. The Hail Mary yeah. to end the game and win it, and all those Troy sorority girls just mm-hmm. losing their mind. <laughs> well, they're losing like, their mind, and then they realize what happened. They're like, oh, wait. Oh, wait. No, is that what? Yeah. <laughs> so good. I think that's good. the only game. Is that the only game Troy lost this year? 
I think they lost two. I think they went 12 and two this year. I could be wrong, but, or maybe it was 12 and two against the spread. I can't remember, but yeah, honorable mention there, but I, I would have to agree. There's no question to me. Alabama, Tennessee was a fantastic game. Even as a Bama fan, the loss, the referees, everything that went into it. My, my personal favorite was the, I mean, there was people in my hometown, like there were kids dressing up as blind referees like referees with the walking stick and the sunglasses and stuff. I mean, it was, there was a lot of, a lot of hatred and anger and animosity floating around yeah, after that game. So that game's got to be a contender, right? Cause it affected people. Oh yeah. It affected <laughs> a lot of things. Maybe not in a great way. No, but the no, effect there is whole, there. Oh yeah. Well, I live so close to the Tennessee state line that there are a ton of Tennessee fans around as well. So yeah, the, the just tension was high. There was, you know, blood was boiling on both sides during the game and after the game. It was just, oof, man, it was a nightmare. So, but yeah, for the uh, for the Gus Johnson losing his mind award, we uh, have to give it to North Carolina and Appalachian State. Fantastic game, just a wild finish. UNC wins sixty three sixty one there. So, uh, not my typical favorite type of game. I'm not usually a dude who loves the super high scoring games, but man, you just, there wasn't a shred of defense, but it was fun to watch. So, all right, next category. We've got a few more here. All right. So this is the Herm Edwards, you play to win the game award. And this is the most embarrassing loss of the season for a particular team or coach. So I'm going to give you first crack again. You play to win the game. So embarrassing loss. For me, it's Notre Dame losing to Stanford. I just, you cannot lose to Stanford. Oh, God, that's brutal. Ugh. I still don't know how they lost to Stanford or Marshall for that matter. Well, I think the Marshall game is at least explainable where you're kind of okay. It's it, you're kind of maybe a little deflated, kind of a letdown after the Ohio State game, which you're probably you know, geared game. up for for months. Yeah. And it's Marshall. So a bit of a trap game. Yeah. But to come off loss, losses to Ohio State and Marshall. And then lose to Stanford. I just <laughs> it's so deflating. Oh man, it's not good. It's it's bad beat. Uh, that was definitely one on my list here for most embarrassing losses of the season. But uh, speaking of the Irish, for me, dude, the only reason I say this is because it was nationally fucking televised, and it was one of a kind. Northwestern beating Nebraska in Week Zero in Dublin, Ireland, for mm-hmm. me super fucking embarrassing like and the only reason it wasn't that embarrassing at the time but the fact that it made it so in retrospect right it, it, is that yeah. is the only fucking game northwestern won all season they lost yeah. 11 straight games after that like how ugh, oh god scott yeah, frost northwestern went winless at home and winless on the road that's terrible that'll kill us so yeah boy that was Oh man, I, I thought about that game because that, that's one that got worse over time, mm-hmm. uh, especially given Nebraska led by 11 at two different points in the second half. Oh man, just gave it to him. It was nasty, it was an ugly game. So, yeah, Notre, Notre Dame losing to Stanford and North Nebraska losing to Northwestern. That is just, oh man, that's two really bad losses. I'm going to throw a couple more here at you. We talked about Miami and Middle Tennessee State. Yep. That's got to garner some consideration for most embarrassing losses of the year, given that a Conference USA team is pulling starters. On yeah. Miami. And I think I have my notes out of order here because I have, <laughs> I have the Middle Tennessee game in the Mac Brown section, which is, I think, not what we're doing the Mac Brown Award for. But yeah, Middle Tennessee was up by 14 when the first quarter ended, and they never led by fewer than 14 points the whole rest of the way. They ran up 500 total yards. They had three touchdowns of 65-plus yards. It was just ugly. Yeah, and the only other one here that I wanted to sort of bring up was another Nebraska loss, and that was to Georgia Southern. Clay Helton went up there and just... Yeah, they threw it all over the place. So that one isn't as bad to me because Georgia Southern made a bowl game. Northwestern won literally zero other games. <laughs> other, you know what I mean? So I think the Northwestern one has to be worse. Uh, yeah, to me, that's 1-1. I, I feel like that's so embarrassing because it was nationally televised. It was in Dublin. Like that's... It was oh, the focal. I mean, it was week zero, right? So it's the yes. focal point of the whole week. Like, you yes, have, you know, you're not it was competing. the game of the week. Yeah, you're not competing with you know some SEC matchup or whatever. It, 
the oh man, the media was just crushing Scott Frost after that. Oh man, it was like we knew when he threw that game, like it's over for Scott Frost. Yeah. He's done. Like he's on his way out. Like chalk this up. This season, it's already over. They're just buying time and saving money on the buyout by keeping him there at yeah. this point. So. Which they didn't do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They might have saved a couple of mil for keeping him for four or five weeks, but because I think he got fired what after week four, five. Well, he, he, like yeah, he he got fired before the like the big buyout drop off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was an extra seven or eight million they had yeah. to pay him to fire him when they did instead of waiting another three or four weeks, but you know, whatever it's a drop in the bucket for these schools these days. So, yeah, I think we got to give the award to Nebraska Northwestern here for most embarrassing loss. So congrats to Scott Frost on uh, the most embarrassing loss of the season on foreign soil on national TV. Uh, okay. Last couple here, <sighs> this one, this one still stings. I'm not going to lie. This is the Jim Mora, you kidding me, award. And this is the most insane outcome or bad beat on a bet you made or in, just in general, the end of a game scenario in which you did not bet. So most insane outcome or worst bad beat that you saw this year. You kidding me? So I have two that uh, I caught two really bad beats this year that I was really, really unhappy about one worse than the other but the first one is wisconsin and michigan state i took under 48 in that game mm -hmm. end of regulation 21 21 so i was like okay well it ends up going over because they go to two overtimes mm -hmm. michigan state wins 34 28 so that is one that kind of pissed me off because I'm, I'm going through like the whole game thinking man there's no way these guys get to 48 there's no way they get to 48 well no <laughs> they they end up tie go to overtime but the one that really just kind of left me shaking my head for two reasons, because this started off bad and then got worse. Uh, I took Clemson, Georgia Tech in week one, under 50 and a half. <laughs> now, I, I took under 50 and a half when we recorded on that you know Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. So that game closed at 51 and a half, which obviously I would have taken under that as well. Uh, Clemson leads the whole way. They block a punt late, return it for a touchdown. They bring in Cade Klubnick for some reps because they're well ahead. And he leads them on a pretty efficient, good-looking scoring drive. They get a touchdown with around a minute left to go up 41 to 10. Mm, not great. No. So that one that one was like, oh, that, that stung hard. Mm. Yeah, that's a dagger there. Useless touchdown to just oh man, that that sucks. That that one hurts. Yeah. To For to me, take me over what I took it at, but it would have been under the closing line. That's uh, Yeah, that one hurts. You know, that's one of those where maybe you throw a bet at the live line to to counter yourself, you know? Right. Where it's like, I know I'm going to lose this one. I'm going to throw down a bet on the live line to maybe cover. So I don't know. For me, this was easy. It was, you know, the I do it every year. I bet on them every year. And this was Army-Navy. Mm -hmm. Army-Navy goes to overtime yeah, and goes thing. over the total. Yeah, it was one of those where I was just like, man, I'm fucking smooth sailing. No chance. Yeah, that's the exact same thing, over. right? Because it's like, oh, this easiest money in sports, right? Yeah. Easiest bet. And because I think it was Navy scored late. I, they actually threw a touchdown pass. That might have been overtime i don't remember but yeah they score late and goes to goes to ot you're just like what the hell oh yeah i was thinking all right just don't score you know don't go to overtime just don't score a touchdown here don't let them score we can't go to overtime kick, make them kick a field goal now nah, give up a touchdown goes to ot i was like god damn it <laughs> fuck you know my what hit 80 percent of the time on these bets you know and you can't be mad because you do hit on them 80 percent of the time but at the same time you're just like man really you couldn't fucking stop navy from scoring mm. a touchdown they were god awful <laughs> you know what they're gonna run you know exactly what they're gonna run you run the same offense oh geez it's uh, yeah that one was it was a bad beat it was frustrating i was just like oh man i stand behind these service academy unders all the time and then it goes over but we did hit on the air force and navy and Air Force Army uh, unders. So two out of three, not bad. So I, for me, I think this is another one of those split awards because I do remember that uh, Wisconsin-Michigan State game, and that was extremely frustrating. Uh, split award. So we're going to go with the worst bad beat award. We're going to split it between Michigan, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan State and Army-Navy 
both of those games going into overtime to screw us out of winning a bet. So yeah, overtime and under is just not a good, not a good combo. No, no, definitely not. So this one is the toughest award for me. This was the Mac Brown stunned face award for those of you who might be, uh, you know, anti North Carolina and remember those memes from last year when they got the shit kicked out of them by Virginia Tech in week one. This is the team to most likely be overhyped coming into next year, only to become a giant tire fire. This is a really tough one for me, but I can only think of one team that's going to be super overhyped coming into next year. And I don't think it's likely that they become a tire fire, but it would not shock me given the history. And that's Florida state. They are going to be massively overhyped coming into the season. They're going to be in the top five, probably, you know, at worst top eight coming into the year. And there's a potential they could lose two or three games. And mm-hmm. so it's like, eh, I don't know that I would call them a tire fire. I don't think they're going to come out and go six and six or five and seven, but I could definitely see them coming in with all this hype and losing to somebody they're not supposed to lose to. Yeah, they they crossed my mind just because in terms of where they're going to start the year ranked and the potential for them finishing, you know, not insignificantly lower where mm-hmm. they come in, started at five or six and, you know, they can finish. 10th or 11th like they did this year and have a good season but it would feel like a letdown based on expectations coming in but i think i'm going to pivot to usc because i think they are going to be looked at as a playoff contender oh yeah and you know inside track for pac-12 championship i'm not saying they can't win it i'm just saying boy there's there's some potholes on that road because they refuse to play defense Oh, yeah. And until they do, I'm not going to buy into it. I mean, you're going to tell me that they're going to go and beat Utah or an improved Oregon team this year or Washington, who's got Michael Penix coming back. Stop Washington. Yeah. Or, you know, not or uh, take Oregon State, who the only reason USC beat them last year was because they threw two pick sixes. You know, if they improve the quarterback play, that's not a guaranteed win. Now, Granted, their schedule. I haven't looked at it, but they won't be playing some of these teams on the road, but some they will, you know, Mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see. I think both of those are really good. I don't think one is more likely than the other. As it were, I think I agree with you that USC will definitely be viewed as a playoff contender coming into the year. They'll be probably right up there with, uh, with Florida state, you know, they will be a top 10 team coming into the season, which is funny, you know, because I would be willing to bet Utah will not be a top 10 team coming into the season, yet they are back-to-back years Pac-12 champs. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against them finishing in the top 10. Yeah, no, me either. So pretty wild how USC just gets the benefit of the doubt and they've yet to prove shit. You know, they lose to Utah twice and then lose to Tulane. I mean, I just, I'm not buying it, so. Yeah, no, I don't think either of these teams are, it's, you know, you look at retrospect, they're not going to be like a Texas A&M or a Miami where you have top 10 talk coming into the year and you're ranked and then you finish not bowl eligible. Mm -hmm. But in terms of uh, coming into the year with a certain number of, you know, being viewed as a top whatever team and finishing the year in that same range, you know, potential definitely exists for a little bit of a letdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree there. So I don't, I don't think there's a wrong answer for this category. Uh, so yeah, definitely the Mac Brown stunned face award. We're looking at you, uh, Lincoln Riley and Mike Norvell. So be look the fuck out for those two teams to come into the season overhyped as shit. We'll see what they do. All right. So our final award, uh, I wanted to change the name of this award to honor one of our favorite coaches ever. And this is the coach of the year award for us personally. This doesn't have to, you know, cause the typical coaches of the year are going to be guys like Sonny Dykes or, Kirby Smart or Nick Saban or whoever goes and wins 12, 11 and wins the title, you know. So our Coach of the Year Award, we're going to call it the Mike Leach Award because we love Mike Leach, you know, the late, great Mike Leach. Uh, We're going to honor him and say the Mike Leach Award is our Coach of the Year. So, Eric, who's your Mike Leach Award winner, Coach of the Year? Um, So Sonny Dykes is an an obvious pick like you talked Mm -hmm. about, but if I'm going to pick – it's for me, it's kind of a toss up between Josh Heupel and Kalen DeBoer. Mm-hmm. So in kind of the spirit of the Mike Leach award, not just coaching, but making football fun. Uh, both of those teams were just, they're just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, exciting style of football. It was enjoyable, aesthetically pleasing for the the real fancy people 
who are listening. <laughs> so I, I think I would just go with Kalen DeBoer because mm. I don't think anyone had Washington winning 11 games this year. Uh, no, no, definitely not. I, I think I don't think I, Washington had Washington <laughs> winning 11 games this year. <laughs> well, you know, I think me and Timmy both took the over on them, if I'm not mistaken. It, but it definitely wasn't. It was like a seven and a half win total. It wasn't like you know, where we expect them to. I didn't even expect them to compete in the Pac-12. You know, and they were losing one game away from being in the title game. Yeah, so, you guys both were over seven and a half. But mm-hmm. yeah, so th- it, it was one of those things. I did take the over on it, but we were definitely not expecting them to do what they did. So you're definitely the Kalen DeBoer fanboy of the show. And uh, you should have had a little more faith in your boy there. And, should have. Uh, and really, and my, my lack of faith revolved around the ghost of Michael Penix. <laughs> or what I, what I thought I was going to see, which was the ghost of Michael Penix. Yeah. And uh, apparently, the, the real Michael Penix showed back up. And he's back this year. So, man, I'm excited to see what uh, Kalen DeBoer does in year two with this team. If he can improve the defense, man, they could be really tough to beat. For yeah. just about anybody. Uh, my Mike Leach Award Coach of the Year nominee, uh, I had a couple of names here. One was Chris Kleiman yep. at Kansas State. I thought, you know, fantastic job here uh, by Kleiman, getting them to double-digit wins. But what pulled me off of this, and yes, I know they turned out to be a really good team, was the Tulane loss. Right. I, I can't, I, I just can't give you the award when something like that happens. So for me, it's the other Kansas team, man. Lance Leipold gets my coach of the year award. You take Kansas to a fucking bowl game, you win the coach of the year award for me. I just, I don't think there was a better coaching job done this year. You know, he takes uh, Jalen Daniels and turns him into a really good player out of nowhere. You know, he had like no power five offers Mm -hmm. coming out of high school. And so you take that guy, make him into a formidable big 12 quarterback. And you go and you win six games and get to a bowl yeah. game. You start the season five and zero. Oh. So to me, I know they had a sort of a backslide in the back end of the year when they had Daniels a backslide got, when he went yeah got hurt. He got hurt. Yeah. So again, this is one of those. I don't think there's. I think it's okay that we have two winners for this category. Mm-hmm. I don't think one imp- one performance is more impressive than the other. So yeah, for us, it would be the Mike Leach Award winners would be Lance Leipold and Kalen DeBoer of Kansas and Washington, respectively. Any other honorable mentions that we should bring up here, coaching jobs? Because I should say, I mean, it's his award. It's Mike Leach's award. Mike Leach did a fantastic job this year. Getting Mississippi State eight wins. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he would be one. Um, Josh Heupel at Tennessee. They obviously were were very, very good. They go 11-2 and in the regular season, then go win the, or I'm sorry, 10-2 and in the regular season, then go win the bowl game convincingly. Um, he yeah. was very good. But I will bring up, the the three guys we talked most about, Kleiman, Lance Leipold, and Kalen DeBoer, um, mm-hmm. they have like 12 national titles between them at lower levels, right? NAIA, Division III, um, just kind of throwing that out there. The winners win. Oh, yeah. It's not That's some true. mystery that they are now coaching in FBS football and winning games. Oh, yeah. All right. So that concludes all the categories for the award show. There was no real contest this year, given it was just two of us on the show. Right. Shout out to Timmy. Hope he's doing well. Hopefully he comes back to the show here soon when uh, some family stuff gets settled. All right. So what I wanted to do before we close out the show here, we're running right up against time. Some closing thoughts, because we're going to close out the 2022 season here. And, you know, we've done all our postmortems that we're going to do. We did our award show. This is the official closing the book on 2022. So any final thoughts? for the season. My big takeaway from the year is that I'm really, really glad that the big 12 and pac 12 were improved and very interesting throughout the season in terms of how those, how, how those conferences were going to shake out because the last handful of years, it's really been, I don't want to say anticlimactic, but there was a clear favorite the whole way through, particularly in the big 12. So having it a little more wide open and more competitive and frankly, just better. Uh, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially in the pac 12, you know, the big 12 kind of a down year, Texas and Oklahoma are just kind of average, but TCU shows up and, you know, makes them into a little bit more formidable of a conference uh, and along with Kansas state as well should give them a nod too. But the pac 12 was super interesting this year. You know, he had three, four teams almost that won double digit games. So, mm-hmm. You know, a, a little bit of a top-heavy conference. You know, you got it's not unlike the SEC in a lot of years or the Big Ten. You know, where you've got three or four juggernauts at the top and some tomato cans it's at the a bottom. Real bottom, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was very hit or miss. I mean, the the worst of the Pac-12 
was awful. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the fact that they, you know, Pac-12 in recent years hasn't been top heavy. It just it hasn't been heavy at all. It's just been yeah. <laughs> Right, so the fact that you actually have teams that can can go out and compete, you know, Oregon won their bowl game, Washington won their bowl game, you know, USC should have won their bowl game, but having more than just one decent team and having three or four teams or five teams that are like Oregon State was really really good. I'm I'm glad to see that. Yeah, I would agree. Good call. My closing thoughts on 2022. I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but for me, and this has nothing to do with my fandom or my team, but for me, just a little bit underwhelming, I guess. Not much surprise. Like, no one really challenged Georgia. I mean, yeah, they had a challenging game against Ohio State in which we, you know, thought they might lose for a time. And aside from the Ohio State game, no one even came close to beating them, except, I mean, you can you can say Missouri, but we've talked about that. Like, at no point in the game did we think Georgia's going to lose, even though they were behind or right there with Mizzou the whole game. You know, then they go and they beat TCU in the title by 60 points or 58, whatever it was. And it's just kind of an, kind of an underwhelming season. You know, the, most of the excitement happened during the regular season, which I am a fan of, you know, you've got the, the both of uh, Alabama's losses, which are super exciting for everyone except Alabama fans. And even the you game know, themselves were right. And so, but, and then you've also got like rushing the field is like, there's like no excitement to it anymore because everyone yeah. rushes the field. It's like sort of underwhelming, you know, Tennessee rushing the field and ripping the goalpost down and throwing it in the river. Like, I get that. Okay, you haven't beat Alabama in 15 years. Great. But Texas Tech rushes the field after beating Oklahoma. It's like, man, come on, dude. Oklahoma won six games this year. Like, what are we doing? You know, you didn't beat number one. Like, get out of here. So a bit of an underwhelming kind of just meh season for me as a college football fan. I felt like the playoff committee just kind of placated to the masses and did not select the four best teams. I felt like Tennessee or Alabama both could have shredded TCU. It just, not to take anything away from Georgia or what they did, but I feel like they had a pretty easy path to win a title. You know, I guess is a good way to put it. Now, winning in the SEC week to week is not easy for sure, but there's been seasons like that in the past. You know, 2020 was one of those years where Alabama beat everyone they played by 21 points or more. So just I think that season was underwhelming for a lot of people. And this one was kind of that way for me. I I don't feel like the four best teams were in the playoffs. So I was never an expansionist. But I am looking forward to a 12-team playoff. I really am. I think it's home playoff games are going to be something else, man. Well, right. We talked about the expanded playoff before, and I still kind of feel the same way. It's mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to make any difference in terms of who the last two teams are. I think no, the two no. I think the two best teams are gonna be in there nine out of ten years, no matter whether the playoff field is two, four, eight, twelve, whatever. But there are some pros to the twelve team playoff and having like a, the first round games, the four mm-hmm. first round games on campus yeah. will be wild. Yeah, that'll be great. And it, it you know, be. you look at all these. Well, if there was a twelve-team playoff this year, it would have been you know. And then you look at what those matchups would have been. You're like, man, that looks awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Tennessee at Clemson, yes, please. Yeah, you know, t- type yeah. of type of games. Um, yeah, Oregon at Penn State. You know, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it, it'll be it'll be really fun and interesting to watch. I mean, I, there's no way you're going to be able to do it without further devaluing the regular season. But I think it'll get better given that we expect the SEC to go to nine conference games. So you should yeah, get better. you should get less of the trash games that you normally see year in and year out yeah. in the SEC. And, and you would also, I'm assuming, uh, be far less likely to see players opting out. So you'll get to watch bowl games with the best players playing. Correct. Yeah, because there, <laughs> I've said it. There's too many bowl games. You know, I, I'm a avid football fan. I love watching football in general, but I don't want to watch two teams with half their rosters missing, you know, mm-hmm. like poor Florida this year. My God. Right. I mean, they got just destroyed by an Oregon state team that had their whole roster. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, if they played in week one, it would have been a whole different game. I mean, fuck Florida beat Utah this year, you know? So just one of those things, man, I underwhelming for me. And I look forward to better things in the future. I think this next season will be pretty wild and it'll kind of be awkward. You know, that last year in the big 12 of Oklahoma and Texas, like one foot out the door, but we're still in this conference with all these new teams. Right. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> pretty weird, man. So yeah, yeah, your replacements are already here. Yeah, yeah. So kind of a oddball season coming up, but um, that's going to wrap us up on 2022 eric what are we talking about next week i forget oh well, next week we have next our, week uh, looking forward have, to next week yeah we have our uh we've got a um, interesting guest yep. coming on the show we've actually got an assistant coach from a smaller hbcu school to come on and talk to us about the ins and outs of recruiting and what it's like in uh, the nil slash transfer portal era from a small school perspective and uh, should be interesting insight in the day-to-day lives of assistant coaches in college football, trying to keep your roster together, you know, because these days the transfer portal, it's almost impossible to keep your roster together, especially for a small school like that, who, if you've got some freak, he's going to transfer to a bigger yeah, school. Yeah, you might not have him long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm really interested to talk to him because he's been a number of different places at different levels, right? Mm-hmm. NAIA, Division II, Division Three, JUCO. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, and all these coaches talk. They talk. I mean, he's very familiar with the guys on the staff at Bama and mm-hmm. other, you know, places like that. So he's worked with a lot of people. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, so we'll have that for you next week, uh, probably somewhere around next Wednesday, Thursday time frame. But uh, until then, we are going to head out of here and you guys stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you next week. See you then. Later. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah.